0: If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. Chapter 4. We'll read, we'll read the whole chapter. <clears throat> but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord, and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, that it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and he fainted, and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not laboured, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Let's pray before we go into this message this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We just pray now that it would illumine our minds and our understandings, that your spirit would teach us your ways and your truths, that you would use me also for that purpose. And I pray that whatever we learn, that we might put into practice, that your name might be glorified. Because you deserve all the glory in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A fellow called Jim Taylor tells a story about a friend of his called Ralph Milton. One morning, Ralph, I'll read it to you. One morning, Ralph woke up at five o'clock to a noise that sounded like someone repairing boilers on his roof, still in his pyjamas he went into the backyard to investigate. He found a woodpecker on the TV antenna, pounding its little brains out on a metal pole. Angry at the little creature, who ruined his sleep, Ralph picked up a rock and threw it at the bird. The rock sailed over the house, and he heard a distant crash as it hit the car. In utter disgust, Ralph took a vicious kick at a clod of dirt, only to remember, too late, that he was still barefooted. Uncontrolled anger, as Ralph learned, can sometimes be its own reward. Anger. This passage, we see a lot about anger that we've read. Jonah was very angry. And anger is an emotion that, that gets us in trouble sometimes, isn't it? Have you ever gotten yourself in trouble when you got angry? You did things that later you think, oh no, wish I hadn't done that. Well, it's it's anger is a way of getting in trouble very quickly. That that guy Ralph found that out. That anger often does more harm than good. And Jonah fell into a very similar sort of trap. He let his anger get the better of him, and he was he was so upset that the people of Nineveh had received mercy. See he hated them. They were nasty people. He just and he couldn't handle that within himself. Let me give you a definition of or one definition of anger from the dictionary. Anger is an emotion related to one's psychological interpretation of having been offended, wronged, or denied, and a tendency to undo that by retaliation. Okay, so it's 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 something you've interpreted right within yourself that you've you've either been offended, wronged, or denied something, and the tendency is when you're angry to undo whatever's been done that was wrong by retaliation. In Jonah's case, he was angry that the Ninevites had been given mercy. He felt that he had been denied justice he felt that God's fury should have been unleashed on these people God should have wiped them out off the face of the earth because of all the bad stuff that they had done and this morning we might look and think about Jonah and say wasn't Jonah a really nasty person he was upset that God wanted to show mercy to these people and and the we might say he didn't have a right to be angry. Easy for us to say sometimes, isn't it? Let me, let, me throw, let me throw a hypothetical at you. Let's say that the courts of this land put a man on trial who had murdered a whole family. In fact, his, brothers, his brother and his brother's family along with wife and children in one go. It's found that he burnt their house, and killed them and he burnt the house down in the most heinous of ways because he wanted to be the sole heir of his mother's inheritance who was sick and dying in hospital. Now let's say the jury found the man guilty. They found that after all the evidence was uh, was was looked at and examined, they found the man guilty of the murder of a whole family because he wanted to get money. But the judge gave him five years prison because it was his first offence. The judge said, "How does that make you feel? Does that make you feel any?" Anger. Does that make you feel there's something wrong that needs to be rectified? Would you be angry if that were a real story? Would you feel denied natural justice? What would you say then that they release this man after two years for for good behavior? All right, because. The uh, the prisons are pretty apt at uh, releasing people before their time. Let's say they released him only after a couple of years, and he was just he got out just in time to see his mother pass away in hospital. And he collected all the inheritance, a million dollars. He got everything that he wanted. Would you be angry? Would it make you feel there was something wrong? that you wanted to do something about? Does something stir inside you when you hear a story like that? Well, Jonah knew the Ninevites. If that story might, might store, uh, stir you up a little bit inside, might churn you a little bit inside, Jonah knew who the Ninevites were. Ninevites were a group of people. Nineveh was a city. It's a bit like saying okay? Nineveh was a city, the people living in that city were Ninevites, but they were a people called the Assyrians. The Assyrians were probably one of the most brutal people at that stage of history. I'm not sure if there are any more brutal people. I'll read something that I found in, a, um, in an encyclopedia. The brutality of the Assyrians was proverbial. In other words, it was so well known, it became a proverb that they even left descriptions or they'd written down in their history the ways they used to kill people because they used to, used to enjoy it so much. Basically, when they went in to, to take a city, they used to <clears throat> uh, flay their captives, I mean skinned alive. They would impale them. They would burn them while they were still alive. They would bury them alive. Bury whole families, men, women, children. And they used to use their skins sometimes to decorate the walls of their homes. And they would use their heads as pyramids. They'd build pyramids with people's heads. Doesn't sound like a very nice bunch of people, does it? So when God says he wanted to... Have mercy on these people. How do you think Jonah would have felt inside? That he was the instrument that God used to show them mercy. You know, when, God, when, it, when it came time for God to finally judge the Assyrians, you don't see many Assyrians around today. Although there are still Assyrian people. There are still people who are, call themselves Assyrian. And the interesting thing is that most of them classify themselves as Christians. in orthodox Christianity. But when God judged, we find in the Bible later on, when God makes a final judgment on Nineveh, because even though Nineveh repented when Jonah went there the first time, they got worse again. They went back to their old ways. And in Nahum chapter 3, God says, Woe to the bloody city full of lies and robbery, and pray that departeth not. God called it a bloody city that was still apt to do the same things. In the light of that knowledge, God asked Jonah, doest thou well to be angry? In other words, are you doing the right thing to be angry here, Jonah? Do you have the right to be angry in this case? But why was God asking this question? Didn't Jonah have the right to be angry? Didn't he? Would you? Would would I be angry under those circumstances? Well, let's focus a little bit more on this question. Anger. Is anger normally directed at something? Or someone? Normally anger is directed at a person. Or a thing. The question is... The question we really have to answer is... At whom was Jonah's anger directed? We knew he hated the Assyrians. Was he angry at the Assyrians for having repented? Let's go back to our definition. Okay, Anger is an emotion related to one's psychological interpretation... Of having been offended... Wronged or denied. Okay. Well, let's go through those three words. After Jonah had preached to Nineveh, had he been offended by them? Well, there's no evidence of that. He'd been there for three days at least, and he preached to them, and he left that town pretty much in one piece. They didn't do any chopping or or, or killing of him. He walked out in one piece. There was no evidence that they offended him. Instead, they listened to him and repented. They heard exactly what he said and they responded in exactly the right way. Had he been wronged by them, personally? No evidence of any abuse. No evidence that he'd been beaten or or treated in a bad way. Had he been denied something by them? Well... What could it be denied by them? They had simply listened and responded to what he said. The only candidate for Jonah's anger was really at God. God is the only other character in the story. The only possible direction for his anger was God himself who denied Jonah what he believed was justice. Did, they commit, did the Ninevites commit terrible, terrible sins? Yes, they did. Did they deserve to be destroyed? Yes, they did. They deserved every bit of God's wrath upon them. Yes, they deserved it all. Yet, God chose to have mercy on them. Jonah was angry at God. Funnily enough, the gourd that God put over over Jonah to give him some shade actually reinforces that idea. It confirms who Jonah was angry at. Look at verse 8. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and he said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah... Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Angry for a plant? Was he angry at the plant? No, he wasn't angry at the plant. The problem was that not only did Jonah feel as if he'd been robbed by God by not seeing Nineveh being destroyed, He felt robbed. He felt denied. He wanted them destroyed and God denied him that. He also felt robbed of a plant. You see, God gave him a plant for a day and then God took away the plant for a day and he felt double wronged. God, you not only took away this, you also took away something else. When God asked him again, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? Jonah's response was quick and full of emotion and full of anger. He said, yes I do well to be angry even to death. What was God trying to teach Jonah here? Some people say that God was trying to teach Jonah that men or people are more important than plants. But you actually think that Jonah didn't know that people were more important than plants? I think he possibly knew that. I think in the whole scheme of things, as a prophet of God, he might have learned somewhere along the way that people are more important than plants. But what message was he trying to give Jonah here? What was the problem that God was trying to address? What was the root cause of his anger? Turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Look at Romans chapter 9 verse 13. It says there, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Any trouble swallowing that verse? Do you see anything wrong with that verse? God is basically saying it's up to him with who he has compassion on. He could have destroyed Nineveh. He could have let Nineveh go. Or he could have chosen to give Nineveh another chance. God, in his own sovereign right, gave Nineveh mercy. Did he have to do it? No. Was he compelled in any way? No, he wasn't. Does God have the right to do it? According to Jonah, God was wrong to do it. That's the problem that he had. He couldn't swallow the fact that God had compassion or mercy on these people. Because in Jonah's mind, if Jonah was God, Nineveh would have been wiped out a long time ago. And can I tell you something? If we ever had God's power, if we were ever in a position to be like God and to execute judgment or mercy... Let me explain something to you. There wouldn't be much of the world left. Because it, the atrocities and the evil and the things that go on in this world, if we were sitting in God's, in God's uh, seat and if I were sitting there, I probably wouldn't have the same patience that He has. I probably would have fixed up a few, let's say, problems very quickly. The Bible says God will have mercy on who he chooses to have mercy. If we can't accept it, if Jonah can't accept it, that's our problem, not God's. In a sense, Jonah behaved much like, do you know the story of the prodigal son? There were two brothers or whatever, and one son decided to take his inheritance early. He went away from the family. He spent it all over the place, blew all his money on things that he shouldn't have spent his money on, and ended up living with the pigs. And then he decided to go back to his family. Actually, turn turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We'll read the end of that, because I want you to understand something, and we'll see the same sort of thing coming through. Luke chapter 15. Look at verse 26. This is the the brother now of of the prodigal son. This is his brother when he finds out that his brother's back. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf. Because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was, look at the response, angry. And would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou hast never given me a kid that I might Make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. You see, his brother was upset. Who was his brother angry at? His dad. He wasn't angry at his brother. He was upset with his dad for showing his brother mercy. He felt that he'd been denied natural natural justice. He felt that he deserved more than his brother. He felt that the kind of mercy and love that his father was showing to his brother was wrong, that he didn't deserve to be shown that type of mercy. He'd been wronged, he believed, by his own father. And this type of lesson comes up over and over and over again in Scripture. The more I read, the more I see this message coming through. What happened to Jonah is actually very common. And we need to. Be, and what I want us to understand today is actually common with us too. Whether we believe it or not, whether we might understand it or not. It teaches a very important lesson about ourselves... This sermon isn't so much about anger, though anger plays a role here. The anger doesn't so much reveal that the person getting angry has an anger problem, but it reveals something deeper. It reveals the heart of a person and their attitude or connection with God's heart. Turn to Mark chapter 2. Let's look at when Jesus came into contact with this type of behaviour. Mark chapter 2, look at verse 15. And it says, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in his house, that's not Jesus' house, that's at Levi or Mark's house, Many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to share a gospel, a good news message, with people who needed to hear it. People who needed to be saved from their sins and an eternity in hell. But when the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and the scribes and all those, all those sort of people, who were the righteous people in their society, who were the ones who were a bit more upper class, who knew God's law and who believed that they were following it, desired for themselves that Jesus would come to their house. You see, because Jesus started off as a celebrity. He didn't stay a celebrity too long, but he started off as a celebrity. You see, when he's performing miracles... And you're a Pharisee, you want to be associated with him. You want to come up to your place because it made you even more important. And Jesus instead didn't go to their homes. He went, to, he went and ate with publicans and sinners. So the first thing they, they found was they were offended at him with what he was doing. How dare he eat with people who were sinners and tax collectors and he didn't come to my house. What's he doing spending time with these people over here? Doesn't he know they're no hopers? Doesn't he understand what life they live? What depths of sin they they get themselves into? And what about us? We tithe, we do all this sort of stuff. He hasn't even bothered to come and talk with us. They themselves would not eat or spend time to help those tax collectors and sinners, they wouldn't eat with them. They wouldn't spend time with them. You see, they were too dirty for them. Not worth the effort. There were only some people that were worth the effort. Maybe the ones that had a bit more money. Maybe the ones that were worth being associated with. Maybe the ones who smelled nicer, were better clothed than these ones. They were offended that Jesus was doing the stuff that they weren't doing. He showed them up that Jesus was spending time with low-class people. They felt that he denied them the proper attention that he should have given them because of their position. Turn to Luke chapter 18 for a moment. Luke chapter 18 verse 10 we'll look a little bit about the heart of where these people were coming from and why they got angry at Jesus Luke 18 10 says two men went up into the temple to pray the one a Pharisee and the other a publican tax collector, worked for the government the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God I thank thee I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know, when we, we read this passage, we rightfully we have disdain for this Pharisee. See, what a nasty character this guy is. He thinks he's so much higher than this, this other person over here. We hate the attitude that he has towards the publican who was genuine about his condition before God, who saw himself as he really was. The publican went home justified because he realised his actual condition before God. He saw himself as God saw him. He viewed God's holiness as something high, much higher than himself. And as a result of seeing God in such a holy and high state, he realised how low and sinful he actually was. But the Pharisee believed himself higher than what he actually was. And when you do that, you bring down God's holiness. He 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 thought to himself, I deserve God's blessings. I deserve more because... I'm so much better than this person over here. Look at verse 9 which gives us why this particular story was given. It says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Rather than being thankful for the mercy of God, the Pharisee chose to view himself higher than he ought to have. You know, Jonah fell in the same trap. Jonah became angry at God because God had denied him what he believed in his heart was something he deserved. He wanted the Ninevites judged because he was so much better than them. He deserved God's mercy, but they didn't. But he missed one very important point. Jonah forgot about the fish. The fish. Yeah, he forgot about a fish. He forgot about this very big fish that swallowed him while he was drowning in the depths of the sea. Do you remember why God prepared the fish? That fish was sent by God to save Jonah when Jonah was in the midst of rebellion, running away from God and disobeying what he had called him to do. Jonah would have died if God had not sent the fish, but Jonah was saved by a fish when he wasn't deserving of any salvation at all. The fact that Jonah was able to walk again on dry land after he had thrown, been thrown overboard a ship because of his blatant and open sin, think, you think may have humbled him a little bit, huh? You think may have made him a little bit more humble about his own circumstance and his own sin. It should have caused him to rejoice in the mercy of God because he had received it, did he not? He had received mercy from God. In fact, he spends a whole chapter in chapter 2 thanking God for the wonderful way which he saved him in the fish. Instead, he gets to Nineveh and he wants them destroyed. Instead of rejoicing that the Ninevites had repented, he climbed a hill. Isn't that rather telling? That he climbed a hill above the town to see if they would be destroyed not a lowly position is it he climbed a hill of judgment he fell into the same trap as the pharisees trusting in his own righteousness neglecting god's mercy on himself first forgetting god's mercy on himself because if he really understood that God had saved him and he didn't deserve it, then he would have had more compassion than Ninevites, wouldn't he? He wouldn't have despised God's mercy on someone else because he would have realised what he received he didn't deserve either. Is this sermon about anger? Yes and no. Anger can be a telltale sign of the attitude of your heart. That's why Scripture so often warns us against getting angry. I'll read you a few. Proverbs fourteen seventeen. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. Proverbs twenty nine twenty two An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Ecclesiastes seven nine Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. In the New Testament as well, it says, For a bishop must be blameless, as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry. Not given to wine, no striker, no given to filthy lucre. Why not soon angry? Because if, you're, if, you're, if you have a propensity to anger very quickly, it means you're being offended or you feel as if you've been wronged or denied something. But the question really is, how much do you deserve it more than someone else? Let's look at a solution. Let's look to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, and look, there's our word, and anger and clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God. For Christ's sake hath forgiven you. See the pattern? How do you put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and evil speaking? How do you replace it with being kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving? Well, the first thing you probably need to understand is that you've been sealed by the Spirit of God, that you have the Spirit of God living within you. So the first thing to do is don't grieve him. Listen to him. Because the Spirit of God teaches us God's truth. When you read your Bible, when you understand God's principles, it's the Spirit of God that helps you to understand them. So the first thing is to understand that you have the Spirit of God, that you are different to people who don't have the Spirit of God, that you've been sealed with that Spirit and your eternal destiny is secured. Did you deserve that? Are you working somehow for that? No, you're not working for anything at the end of the day. You've got it. You've been given it before you did anything. And all you're doing now is saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, all the way along till we, we step onto that, that shore. The first thing to do is understand that you have a spirit of God inside you that can teach you God's truths. And he is there to help you when you struggle with sin and things such as anger. And the second thing you must do, Just as Jonah was saved but didn't deserve it. Remember that God himself has been kind, tender-hearted and forgiving towards you and me. Remember that always. Never let that go. Don't forget that God has been so tender-hearted with us. He could have destroyed us a long time ago. Have you disobeyed God after you got saved? Have any of you disobeyed God after you got saved? I know I have. Did I deserve the, Do I still deserve the patience he gives me? Do I still deserve the tender hearted ways in which he's dealing with me? No at all. Understand that God has been forgiving to us. And it says that we should forgive one another even as Christ, for Christ's sake, for God, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Remember what, remember what we got. Remember what God gave us that we never deserved because Jonah missed that point. Jonah missed the point of being saved by the fish. And so he went on his merry way with his uplifted heart thinking that he could judge everyone else. Not look at God and say, God, you have every right to have mercy on who you will have mercy because you gave it to me who didn't deserve it. Therefore, God, who do you want to have mercy on? Use me to share that mercy, to show your love and your compassion. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. We saw this particular verse on our Friday night study with the men. It says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You know our culture has a very bad problem. It's called alcohol. Alcohol is so bad in our culture, it's unbelievable. And you know, have you ever seen people... What happens in the cities in, in, at, at night? Why are they so concerned about, you know, about, around nightclubs and pubs and things like that? What are they concerned about? That people are humble around those areas? Or that people are too kind and tender-hearted? No. What they get so concerned about when people consume a lot of alcohol is they get angry at each other. And then they start belting each other up. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Because anger is one of those things that blows up when you consume too much alcohol. Anger. And maybe all it really does is release the anger that's already there. Who knows? But the Bible says instead of that picture, instead of living like that, living in excess in all those ways, be filled with the Spirit. But what does being filled with the Spirit mean? Being filled with the Spirit is something that you and I need to do every step of the way, every day of the year. Not something that happens once and it's done. Being filled is something that we have to allow the Spirit to do. As one writer put it very well, he said, Being filled with the Spirit isn't getting more of Him, it's Him getting more of us. You like that? I like that analogy. It's not me getting more of the Spirit and filling me up. It's actually him getting more control of me. Being filled with the Spirit means firstly allowing the Spirit to teach you God's truths and leading you into God's paths. Important truths such as that we are unworthy of our salvation. That's an important truth. Jonah knew God's truth. He knew God was merciful, he says it. He goes, you're God, you're merciful, patient, slow to wrath. He knew God's truth, but he failed in the second point. And the second point is, once you know God's truth, you need to submit to God's truth. If God says something about you or me or himself, then we need to simply submit to it and accept it as the truth. Jonah refused to submit to God's truth. In this case, his mercy upon the Ninevites. God's truth was that he chose to be merciful to the Ninevites. Jonah couldn't accept that truth. Jonah resisted that truth. And the final point is that by faith you need to obey. So the three things. You need to be guided by the Spirit of God into truth. You need to submit to that truth. And the final thing is, you need to, by faith, live that truth. Obey it in your life. Jonah failed to do that. And the funny thing is, even obedience brings with it fruit. Obedience, even begrudging obedience brings fruit, believe it or not. You know, when Jonah finally went to Nineveh, did he do it? begrudgingly or did he do it with all his heart he did it begrudgingly he hated them while he was walking all the way there he hated them while he was giving them the gospel message and then he hated them all the way up a hill watching and waiting to see God destroy them even obedience begrudgingly has fruits because they listened to to the actual message and they repented But does God want us to be living lives that do things begrudgingly? No, God wants our hearts. God wants our hearts to be like his heart. That's what God's whole plan is here. That we would day by day be changed to become more and more and more like Jesus in the way we think, the way we respond emotionally. So by faith, obey God's truth and you will see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Because it says in Galatians chapter five verse 22, "But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance." I didn't read anger. Is there any anger in there? No. That's not the fruit. But is this, is this sermon about anger? Not really. Because you know how many other emotions that we allow? ourselves to run away with without keeping them in check there are plenty of emotions out there anger is just one of them beware of your emotions beware of them they aren't the guide of truth and and lie but you know what they they are they may be a good barometer of your soul a good gauge of how close your heart is with God if the, spirit, if the fruit of the Spirit is, is common in our lives, and all those things such as love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, if those things are common in your life, then persist with them. We'll continue to even build them up more and more and more. Learn God's Word. Submit to God's Word and live God's Word every day of your life and you will see more of those fruits in your life. Believe it or not, your emotions aren't a guide for what's right and what's wrong. Sorry. I know when we get angry about certain things or when we get frustrated or when we get uh, sad or whatever it might be, those emotions aren't necessarily right emotions. And in fact, probably most of the time, our emotions are leading us in the wrong direction because they spring from the flesh rather than from the spirit. Our emotions should never lead us into where we have to go. Our emotions should only ever follow the direction that we, that we take or the choice that we make based on God's truth because the Spirit leads us there. And please, and I know this is very difficult for us, we tend to justify. When we go fly off the handle or we do things that aren't right or we have bad emotions or bad thoughts about people, whatever it might be, we are very good at justifying ourselves and those emotions. We know deep down they're wrong. The best thing to do is to say, that's wrong, let's move on to something else. Don't justify your emotions unless they line up with the word of God. The larger lesson here is not to allow ourselves to be lifted up in spiritual pride which tends, us to, tends to make us feel higher than what we actually are. Jonah was guilty of this. The remedy is to be filled with the Spirit of God, day by day by day, and allow him to work in our lives, to accept his truth, even if it doesn't even make sense. Accept it. Because God's a lot smarter than you and me. And even though God might say something about me that I find very difficult to understand, I need to believe it. The Bible has a lot of great things to say about us. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We are ambassadors for God in this world. We are the sons of the living God. We are a kingdom of priests to him. There are so many other descriptions God gives of us. But oftentimes we might read something like, I am a king and a priest to God. I'm an an ambassador for him in this world. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And we look at that and we say, nah, that's not me. What have you done? You've actually denied God's word. You've actually said, I know that. You've said that as a truth, but I'm not going to submit to it. And therefore, the conclusion is, I can't follow it by faith. So then you keep on going into this vicious circle. You don't believe what God says about you already. You want to believe something else, and we continue on the same path. Remember, if you want to avoid being like the Pharisees, falling into the same trap as Jonah, not to be like the brother of the prodigal son when good things happen to people around you that you don't think deserve it as much as you, then follow the Spirit. Turn to me one final passage, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. We'll just close up with the reading there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Matthew 5.44 would have been a good one for Jonah. It says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil... And on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. If you live by the spirit of God, you will live more and more like him. Your heart will be changed to be more and more like his. And when he says to go and love your enemy, when someone uses you and takes advantage of you, you know something you're more apt to be able to love them. Otherwise, if you try to do it in your own strength, it's not going to happen. You're going to fail. And this morning, if you don't have the Spirit of God, if you aren't saved, you can't be filled with the Spirit of God. There is no way on the earth you're going to ever obey that particular passage. You need to be saved first. And if you're not saved this morning, you need to come and see me very, very quickly. Because you don't know what's going to happen if you leave those doors today, whether you'll even make it home alive. Don't risk an eternity. Remember, live for the Lord each and every day. God bless you.